0: You're listening to the CapEx Big Question Podcast, where we're joined by other investors, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs discussing global game-changing trends and burning topics that keep investors up at night, one question at a time. Today I've got my good friend Kim Eskian from True Wealth Publishing here, sitting in Singapore. What I wanted to cover is the energy markets. Kim's got a strong background in Russia. You want to give us a little bit of an insight as to what you were doing other day, Kim, so that we can um, cover some of these topics of today, which is, I think, predominantly energy. On the Great, Chris. Yeah, I lived in Russia in the mid-90s for uh, about five years, and then mid-2000s for another three years. I worked for a few investment banks, including Renaissance Capital, and I ran a, a hedge fund for a while in 2008. My timing was spectacularly poor. And I've, uh, I also work for, political, for a political risk consulting company called Eurasia Group, where I also focused on Russia and looked at the different dimensions of uh, politics and how those impact investors. So I've, uh, I've been involved in Russia for pretty much the past 20 years, ever since the market was just in its infancy in the mid 90s. Right, so if we're looking at the markets today, energy um, energy's always been a big part of any market. The, the interesting th- thing to me is, not just determining what's going to take place with the cost of energy and, and um, natural gas, oil, oil in particular, but Russia being one of the main players, what what are your thoughts with respect to the market over there? We've got what is essentially one of the cheapest stock markets in the world. Energies in uh, possibly oil is possibly forming a long term bottom at some point here. Do you see that as an opportunity or? Do you, do you think that Russia's got a whole lot more problems ahead of them? Russia, well, I think it can be, I think it's probably a bit of both. Uh, the Russian stock market and the Russian economy are highly levered to the price of oil in particular and the prices, uh, and price of commodities in general. Um, oil accounts, or energy accounts for somewhere between a quarter and 40% of GDP, depending on how you calculate it and what you add in there. And uh, as a percentage of the stock market, it's well over half of the stock market is is energy companies. Um, and historically, uh, when oil has fallen, the Russian stock market has collapsed and the economy has collapsed. In two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when the price of oil fell, the Russian stock market fell eighty percent. The economy contracted by about nine percent, which was far more than any other big or or moderately big uh, economy in the world. I think that if we consider if we think about oil forming a long term bottom and recovering, yeah, Russian oil stocks will recover just like oil stocks elsewhere in the world. Uh but I think if we if we talk about valuations, there's a very uh there's very much a ceiling for Russian stock Russian stock market. A lot of people look at Russian shares and say, oh, look at that. It's it's so cheap. It's you know the PE of five, maybe now it's, it's all right around five, uh, and that's, you know, a discount 70% to, to other markets. But the thing is you have to look at the history of that and the Russian stock market. It's been one of the world's cheapest for a very long time. And for good reason, I guess, which brings me to the next thing that I've been mulling out of my head, which is political risk, right? So the political risk in that country is significantly different to any other commodity producer, maybe you know, we just looked at Canada, which is um, significantly lower political risk than in Russia, then the metrics are quite different. So when looking at something on a relative basis, you have got to look at that input factor of political risk. What do you think the political risk, do you think that has changed significantly? I mean, you started up in 2008. Do you think that it's gotten worse, gotten better? And going forward, what are your thoughts there? I mean, to a certain extent, they've liberalized their economy sort of progressively, but it is still highly centralized. It is still corrupt. So what are your thoughts with respect to that? Well, I think that, you know, the um, political risk in Russia has always been sky high. Uh, When I started working in Russia, it was uh, during the Yeltsin years. And the stock market would move up and down according to uh, Boris Yeltsin's health, uh, because there was a lot of concern that the guy was going to keel over and, and the entire country would be up in the air. Uh, he wound up <laughs> living in, and he passed. Uh, he, he eventually resigned in favor of Vladimir Putin. The, um, the thing about uh, Russia, as well as with a lot of other countries that are less democratic, so to say, is that it's very much personality driven. In in more democratic systems, you know, the system, the, the institutions take care of ninety percent of what goes on. Things take over. There, there, there are hundreds of thousands mm. of civil servants who do their job, and everything kind of just exists. And the person who's at the top doesn't matter that much. Yeah. But in Russia, you have to flip that over. Sorry. Single point of failure is far higher. Exactly. Than a country like Russia. Yeah. In a country like that, you have one guy who makes. All the decisions. And if he doesn't make the decision himself, there are all sorts of lackeys who want to please him, who are trying to make a decision based on what they think he would want. So, um, whatever he wants happens. And if you are an investor, if you're someone trying to map out what's going to happen in the country, you really have, it's just the whims of a single person. And you can look at what he's done, you can look at what, you can anticipate what he might do, but ultimately, the level of political risk is dramatically higher. And, um, that's not going to change. Then if we look at Europe on their door, which is increasing their basket case, and a consumer of their energy, how much do you think that affects Russia's stability? Because Europe is, is you know, increasingly devolving into a worse and worse situation. And I think back to when I was living in Europe some 15 years ago, and the political risk within Europe has significantly increased. The economic risk has significantly increased. And as we were discussing just the other day at the, uh, the event here in Singapore with, um, with, the, with the gentleman, Dane Morrow, from Control Risks, Europe has lost control of the borders. And that's a very significant issue. So you have, a, you have a, an increasing political risk in Europe. Have Russia, which has always been this politically uh, sensitive country, the dynamics between the two. Do you think that we've got a leverage factor in terms of increasing risk in Russia as a result of what's taking place in Europe? Um, we know that there's a there's a there's a there's a power play that's also taking place at the same time. Um, certainly, what we saw with the Ukraine. Do you have any any thoughts as to you know, the impact of what's taking place in Europe and how that, what the knock on effect that has for surrounding countries with Russia in particular. Yeah. Europe is a big consumer of Russian goods, certainly Russian energy. Europe has been trying to diversify away from being as reliant on Russian energy, but it's still heavily reliant upon it. And also, uh, Russian goods. Um, Europe is a major export market. So when Europe goes wobbly, uh, that's, Certainly bad for Russia. In the long term, what Russia has been trying to do is limit its own vulnerability to uh, Europe by looking to China. So, over, over in recent years, it's been it's implemented all sorts of long term energy deals uh, to export energy to China. Um, it's trying to move its focus uh, more toward Asia, and that has moved in fits and starts, but China is not all that eager to buddy up to to Russia. China understands its own dynamics and it's also looking out for itself. Um, So to get back to your question, yeah, what happens in Europe uh, has a huge impact on Russia. And I think also geopolitically, um, what happened in Ukraine was in part only possible because Europe is discombobulated and a more unified Europe would say, this can't happen. This is absolutely unacceptable. So I think there is a certain, there's a certain, if Russia can drive a wedge between different countries in Europe, which it, it has tried to do over time, uh, if it senses an opportunity like it did with Ukraine, it certainly jump at it and you'll notice that the situation in Ukraine has not changed. Because I come back to your comment around your, um, Russian equities being cheap, right? So on a, on a pure valuation basis, we'd say Russian equities are cheap. However, with what's taking place in Europe, we could say that the political risk as a result in Russia has possibly increased, certainly not decreased. And as such, if you're going to discount valuations accordingly, then it's probably fair to say that as cheap as they may be today, it's not it's not cheap enough to buy, and it's not there, – there's, there's, so there's further downside um, ahead of them. And it, or if not downside, there's not sufficient upside in order, to, in order to go long. Would that be how you'd look at it? See, the thing with uh, Russian shares is that they are so tightly linked to the price of oil. So Europe could go to hell in a handbasket tomorrow, but the price of oil spikes. Right. Um, Russian shares would be the place you'd want to be. Uh, you'd want to, it's much more of a trading market than a long-term investment market. Over the long term, um, yeah, I think Russia has an enormous downside because it has it's a one-product economy. It's politically a mess. Its demographics are horrible. Um, there are a million reasons to not want to be there. But in the shorter term, um, or all sorts of things that can make it spike up. So traders, market. Any other thoughts with respect to energy? You've got natural gas out there, which increasingly looks like the answer. And there's a lot of power players within that region there, certainly with Syria as well. Is that something that you look? If you were to, if we were to participate in Russia in some shape or form, is it possibly better to just simply participate on the back of a commodity? as opposed to getting into the the Russian market. So if you can look at what's taking place and say, well, we think, for example, natural gas is going to be a beneficiary of what takes place, then you would simply buy natural gas futures, as opposed to going and investing in Russia, per se. Um, Yeah, I think uh, investing in the commodity itself would probably be cleaner, but I think you'd also ultimately have more... um, upside just because sentiment can swing so sharply uh, with respect to Russian shares. Um, so increase, the vol- increase volatility. Yeah, exactly. increased volatility. Which, as China does, is what we like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that um, uh, actually natural gas what you, what you said earlier about liberalization of the economy uh, in fact, I think, I would argue it's, it's probably gone the opposite direction over time. In the early 2000s shortly after became president uh he did a whole bunch of good things in terms of of reform in terms of liberalizing the economy and then over time he's reversed almost all of those and if you look at the uh the share of the economy that's uh controlled by the government that's actually increased over time um and you look at some of the biggest energy companies you have Gazprom, which is the world's largest natural gas company um by a country mile in terms of reserves and it is it's, in effect, a, a tool of geopolitics. Um, share prices fall 90%. It's just a, a disaster of a company. And you look at the largest oil company, Rosneft, it's also majority controlled by the government, which probably isn't where you want to invest. And it's probably fair to say that that control that was enacted was in the back, on the, back of the resource boom. So you almost didn't see the... Difficult because as soon as you as soon as you centralise that process, as soon as the government takes a a bigger chunk of the pie, we know that um, we know that it's an inefficient methodology, and as such, you would you can stretch that out and extrapolate the fact that those companies would have been operating uh, less profitably because um, they're run by government. But on the back of a resource boom, you don't necessarily see those metrics because you've got the commodity price that's pushing the, the, um, uh, the equities higher at the same time. So It's almost like it gets masked. The inefficiencies that can get built up in that system get masked by the simple fact that you've had a resource boom. Um, and now we don't have a resource boom. And so now we're on the other end of that particular curve, and those inefficiencies now become much more prevalent than they would otherwise. Yeah, a bull well, market can obscure a lot, of, uh, a lot of problems, and that's certainly one of them. And I think also, yeah, a lot of people very much thought, well, this is a great play. Look how cheap Gazprom is. It's, it's going through the roof. But in fact, that, you know, there's a certain recognition all along that it wasn't all a very well-run company. But those problems are really due to the forefront when times are not quite as... It's like Buffett says when the tide goes out, it's used to yeah, be it." So it in a similar situation. The tide has gone out in Timothy. And pricing, And so now those inefficiencies are far more visible than they are otherwise. Okay. So is there anything that you would look at in Russia from a long perspective? Or is it all either neutral, not interested, or, or even a, a short plan? Uh You know, there are uh, a few companies that are – there's a uh, Russia's version of Google – is traded on the Nasdaq. It's called Yandex, Y N D X, um, and the internet is under a fair amount of pressure in Russia, as you might expect. Uh, Google is being slowly pushed out because partly the Russian government can't control it. Um, if you bear those two things in mind, Yandex is—it's a well-run company. It's quite interesting from a valuation perspective. It's a lot. So it's certainly, a private, lot. privately run. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah. privately run. Yeah. So- um, and again, that's quite volatile and you can follow, you can, you can track the share price versus noises the government makes about internet regulation. And you also track it, um, with the oil price, which is indirectly linked to consumer spending. Right. Um, but that's one certainly to keep your eye on. And then if you had to buy a Russian oil company or if you wanted to, there's uh, the second largest one is called Luke Oil. And it is uh, the government does not have a stake in it. Um, has a good dividend. It's historically been uh, or operationally very strong. Um, it's run by a guy who seems to who's clearly a survivor. He's been on the right side of every sort of government um, government challenge to to the industry. But in terms of shorting, I think it's the thing is I what you don't want to do is short something that you might be squeezed out of very quickly and just because of volatility i think that would be difficult unless you had a, a very clear view of yeah short, shorting is difficult i mean you only really want to short when it's a, it's a really obvious play because you're often fighting fighting at general trend. okay sure. very interesting um well i appreciate your time kim super thanks very much until next time thanks chris Thank you for tuning in. CapEx Big Question Podcast is sponsored by Serif, an exclusive private global network of individual investors and family offices dedicated to growing their wealth exponentially by investing in game changing global trends. To learn more about Serif, go to serif.bc. That's S E R A P H dot v for Vicky, C for Charlie.